Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. With today's access technologies, careers in computers or that rely on computers are very amenable to people with visual impairments. That being said, we'll learn today that it isn't always smooth sailing. We'll speak with Florian Byers, a blind software developer, about his training, his work, and how he has dealt with various challenges as they arose. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Florian Byers and is a hint about how you can get started learning to write computer programs. For anyone else who wants to try to pick this kind of thing up, there is a website called freecodecam.com. Uh, so that's free code camp with a P dot com. And basically it's a curriculum for people who are completely new to coding to start learning how to code. And they can do that within their web browser. There's nothing you need to install or download or anything. And you will go through HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, which are the dominant languages on the web, even in the back end these days. That is, I would say, a very good place for you to start because the editor that they were using was inaccessible and they've recently revamped it to make it a different editor, which is actually both recently actually quite accessible and it is the same editor that's used by Visual Studio Code. So you have some of that experience going for you if you use that editor after you learn how to code, which I would recommend because it's a very accessible editor. Oh, great. So they have little tutorials that'll walk you through learning each of those languages and practicing it on your own. Yes, they basically have little challenges that, like, for example, this is a heading element. And then they tell you, you you need to put a heading element here. And then when you've done that, you click their little submit thing. And then if you did it right, it goes to the next challenge. And these days, if you do a web search for programming or examples of programming, you'll find many tutorials and examples of codes, code snippets that you can use in some of your first programs. There's lots of help out there on the web these days to get you started. And there are lots of jobs that involve using computers and writing computer programs, and they can be very rewarding, as ours were. Let's start by meeting Florian. My name is Florian Bayers. I am a 26-year-old computer scientist slash software engineer slash developer, whatever you want to call it. I work with a sighted deaf team and have been chronicling my experiences in that field in a form of blog articles that have gotten the attention of these lovely hosts over here. Hello, guys. It got our attention. <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> and you are located where for our listeners? Uh, the Netherlands. So Holland for you American folks. <laughs> <laughs> and you are visually impaired from what I understand. Was that a condition from birth? Um, I've been fully blind since birth. I only have some light perception, um, pretty much just enough to avoid big walls. But apart from that, there's not really anything useful I can do with that remaining sight I have. So to do your work, you use Braille and speech and other assistive technologies. Pretty much just brilliant speech, yes. And what do you do for fun? Oh, um, 
a lot of things. I read. I work with music a lot. I like composing and making music. I hang out with people. I go out with my guide dog. And a lot of people who have guide dogs like to introduce their guide dogs. Would you? <laughs> my guide dog's called Kai, and he's a very, very uh, cute guide dog. And the problem is that he knows that himself very well and likes to take advantage of this fact. He's a very handsome, white, large, uh, for his uh, race, Labrador Golden Retriever crossbreed. And he's pretty much with me wherever I go, including to work. We call him the watchdog because that's a development term. (laughs) (laughs) Cute. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 This week's focus topic is learning to write computer programs and using that skill in the workplace. Anyway, your blog did catch our attention because you were a blind IT person who presumably did a lot of programming in various languages, and we thought we'd share with our listeners your experience about how you got started in that field, some of the hurdles you've had to overcome, and how you did that, and a little bit about your work experience and any advice you had for people who wanted to do similar things. So why don't we start by talking about how you got started in IT and your interest in coding and computers. When I was about 10 years old, I left the uh, blind school that I was at and I switched over to a mainstream school. And a few months later, I uh, accidentally happened to cross a website that a classmate of mine from the blind school created about how to do HTML. So how to create websites using HTML. So I decided to do the tutorial just for fun. And I created a little website, just a small HTML file that had a few links in it. And it actually worked. And that was a very empowering sort of magical feeling where I could just write a bunch of text in a, in a text file and make things happen like on the computer that I could actually see right away. It is kind of a fun experience to write your first piece of code or your first website and actually have it show up and do something or display something. It is, yes. And that is basically um, how I got started. Well, just for the record... Pete and I each wrote an awful lot of code through our education and our career, and the only difference is that I can see and he can't. So we used some different tools, but yeah, we really understand how gratifying it is to be able to force a computer to do what you want it to do. And sometimes there's roadblocks and challenges along the way, and and it's really kind of fun when you beat the computer and get it to do what you want. Beating computers, is that domestic violence or is that allowed? <laughs> you know, I often describe coding as wrestling the computer to the ground somehow. And who's <laughs> going to win? I'm not going to let the computer win. Right. It's, it's actually very apt. <laughs> so that was your initial foray into some amount of coding, making little websites. How did you continue your studies after that? How did it all develop? Basically, after a few years of me just um, being happy about the whole HTML thing, I happened across a website called, I believe it was blindprogramming.com or programmingfortheblind.com or something similar to that. It has a bunch of zip files containing ebooks about various languages. Um, this is around 2005, 2006. And um, I found this magical thing called Python, and it was very readable, and I very much enjoyed learning the basics of it. And that basically uh, got me started writing small little text adventure programs, just small little calculating programs that I needed 
and next to that, I was doing some C Sharp, which had a very uh, easy way to get desktop applications, just buttons, checkboxes, and combo boxes on the screen. And that was very powerful because you could just instantly make this application the one that you're used to, that you're just used to seeing on the computer. And it would just be your application that you build. So that gratifying feeling that started with the whole website sort of like is interwoven through all that process, if you will. And that sort of just developed from there. So you basically picked up Python and C Sharp from reading books and playing around with it and testing it. Yeah, basically, yes. Did you have any formal education in computer programming? I did, but only after um, my initial foray. So when I ended high school around 18, 19 years of age, I decided to do a, a Bachelor of IT. I was deciding between either that or a music-based course. And the economy being what it was back then, this was around 2010, 2011, uh, I decided that having something that would give me some instant way of earning money would be uh, preferable to uh, music because it, it seemed to me that would be very hard to make money well initially. So music became my hobby, and then programming became my, I guess, hobby slash job, because I have been studying for it, but I still really enjoy doing it. I have very similar feelings. I really enjoy music and almost considered going to music school at one time, but it was a lot easier to make a living as a scientist. It's, it's tough <laughs> as a musician sometimes. It can be, yeah. Yeah, was it difficult getting into college with a visual impairment, or was that an easy transition for you? For college, I must say, getting into college was actually pretty smooth sailing. And then once you were there, did you have to buy your own equipment, or did your government support that type of endeavor? Over here, the government supports you when you either study or uh, have a job, so you can get your bill display and your screen reader if you need it. Um, I was using NVDA at the time, and I still am, so I didn't need a license for JAWS or anything like that, but I did need a bill display, and they do uh, provide you with that. Adaptation-wise, that's pretty much all I used. There was an arrangement I had with the school um, examining board that allowed me to take double time for, for I guess, assignments and uh, exams. But that was pretty much the only uh, adaptation they had. We, we made sure we had a laptop and a USB stick that had a portable version of NVDA on it. Oh, that's nice. Like So I couldn't cheat, but I also needed a computer to use. So they gave me that, and then I could just use that stick to get it to talk. So it sounds like college went pretty smoothly for you. Oh, no, I did not. No? <laughs> what were some of the major challenges you ran into? Honestly, the teachers. Um, a lot of uh, teachers just didn't know how to handle a blind student, and they are not really at fault for that. It's not, it's not something that happens every day. But I have seen some things that seriously made me doubt into the uh, collective common sense of humanity. What kinds of things were those? I once had a 30-minute discussion with a teacher that really could not get his mind around the fact that Photoshop is not really a great thing for a blind person to do. You just couldn't get his mind around that. Over here, you have like a protocol that decides uh, a bunch of like sort of requirements that you need to cover to pass a course, and that was one of them. I assume you worked out some compromise. Yes. Uh, after a lot of screaming and yelling, I basically managed to get them to uh, let me write up a use case actor story rather than a mood board. Gee. And that worked, but it, this is just one out of like at least a 20 things off the top of my head that I could tell you that, that I had to fight for. So it was definitely not smooth sailing uh, in a lot of ways, which is a shame. You really had to learn to advocate for yourself, even at a young age during your education. Yes. 
it was either that or quit school. Like mm-hmm. basically, I had to stand up for myself, and if I didn't, I would not make it through school. Wow, that's amazing. You know, because there's so much computer programming that's totally text-based, but these days there's also some of this graphical stuff. And That's actually really funny. I sometimes see uh, on mailing lists where people ask me for an accessible programming language, and I just shrug and go, well, technically they're all accessible. It's all just text, but you know, it's. I guess it depends on your definition of accessible, and also uh, I guess what you're asking me is the tools you're using, and those can be inaccessible. So you got out of college after battling through successfully, it sounds like, and overcoming a bunch of obstacles, mainly with your professors, and then it was time to find a job. How did that go? So I had a bit of a head start, if you will. When I was in college, there was this little company that they did uh, within the college campus, uh, I guess, purview. There was one teacher there who was sort of supervising the whole thing, but for the rest, it was student-driven. We would bring in the clients. We would uh, estimate what they needed, and then we would build the projects. And they had a programming department. They did some PHP stuff. And I was part of that department for about one and a half years, after which I started doing internships. So my first job um, I could do from college campus as I was going to school, and that was a really good leg up because – you get the chicken and egg problem where they want three years of experience, but you need to get the three years of experience first in order to make the job. So, Yeah, all those ads say that when you're looking for a job. Three years of experience required, right? Yeah, so when you're starting out, you obviously don't have that kind of experience. And honestly, what I can tell people when you see that is to just ignore that. If you think you can convince your hiring manager that you can do the job, it helps if you have some prior work to show off. Just try it. The, the, the worst you'll get is a no. Student internships can go a long way towards solving that problem. Yes. Um, over here, the uh, it's called the HBO program, which is actually kind of funny uh, given our audience. But uh, HBO stands for something else here. But basically, that's a type of study where you have two internships. One is sort of like a looking over someone else's shoulder and kind of working with them internship. And then the other one is more of a graduation thesis kind of thing where you do your own thing and write up uh, a report on that. My first internship was for a company that does accessibility audits. And my second one was at Microsoft. So it was actually really interesting to, uh, to see those two compared and to get that on your resume. It's almost a shame to see how few colleges in this country offer internships or encourage internships from the students, you know. Many students go through their education without ever having worked at all in the field that they're anticipating working in after graduation. Yeah, that is really uh, hard to defend because then you just have no practical experience and you'll need to do some kind of internship or a traineeship or apprenticeship to even get the practical experience you need to do an entry-level position. Once you graduated from college and you, I presume, your first job out of college, you made use of some of the contacts that you had developed during your college jobs? Actually, I did, but kind of by accident. Uh, The job I eventually took was a job I got through a recruiter. And it turned out that it was one of the customers of the company that I worked at before, which I didn't know beforehand. I saw the name and I was like, I've seen that before somewhere. That name looks familiar, but why? And then I just looked in my email for that term and I found some meeting notes from my old company where we were discussing that project. I was like, oh, right. <laughs> so did that make it easier getting your foot in the door? Um, A little bit. 
they knew of the company I worked at. They didn't know me personally, but they did know uh, what we did. And they know that we sort of, you know, deliver quality work. And I probably knew what I was talking about if I worked there. Right. So, yeah, yeah I got a very easy way uh, to get my first job there. The recruiter basically talked me inside. I went there with my guide dog and that's pretty much all she wrote. And I was not, um, I didn't have a hard time finding interviews. I had five or six interviews that week. And I actually was talking to a detachment company as well. Basically, that's when they sent you out to go anywhere where you want, uh, day one, basically. To, so you work pretty much everywhere in the country. Did you run into any challenges with interviews or other facets of applying for a job? One company I was talking to, they were having a bit of trouble with the uh, standard grade assessment that they wanted me to do. It was very visual in nature and they didn't really have a, an alternative. They were having a hard time adapting that for me. And it uh, turned out that they took too long. By the time they had it all figured out, I'd already received a really good offer for my first job. So um, I decided to take that offer. This was their employment screening test that you were having difficulty with. Yeah, in a sense. So they had a few uh, tests. They had like a battery of, of like a psychological test and a assessment test, a screening test. And none of these were really uh, blind friendly. Yeah. Now, you also talked about how when you applied for jobs that you didn't tell people up front about your vision issues. No. You just applied based on your credentials and your background and experience. Mm -hmm. And so the first time this came up was when you would meet face-to-face -face with people, I presume? That's how I did it when I still was looking for an intern. So by this time, I didn't have a guide dog yet. So I could come in with my cane and nobody would be the wiser unless they Googled me, which I think if they did would be a plus in my book because I would do that if I had a, an applicant coming in. I'll be frank about that. Mm -hmm. But when I got a guide dog, I cannot in good conscience do that anymore because there might be people with severe dog allergies. So what I do now when I have to apply for a job is I pretty much apply based on my credentials, as you said. Then there's usually some kind of phone call or a screening call or maybe a hangouts call to sort of discuss specifics. And then I wait for the first uh, I guess, actual face-to-face -face interview to be scheduled. And then I ask if there's anyone with a dog allergy, and that's where it starts rolling. Mm -hmm. Because we're basically locked in at that point. They cannot, in good conscience, deny me at that point mm -hmm. without, you know, sounding like a, like a really bad person. Right. Mm -hmm. So what kind of reactions do you typically get when you mention the dog? Usually just like a, sort of like a discombobulated why. Why do you have a dog with you? And then I sort of explain... Yeah, um, you know, I am a blind person, and that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but I, that does mean I have a guide dog, so that's why I bring a dog. And when it's a recruiter, they'll ask me, you know, the whole song and dance about how do you code, how do you do this, how do you do that. It's pretty much a very a standard list of questions that I could almost just, like, write a script for the answer for me. And when, it, when it's actually my boss or prospective boss, if you will, my employer, yeah, a similar thing happens. And then when I get in the door... Usually there's just a sequel to that where I actually show it off. I usually bring my computer to the interview and I just have eloquence speak at like 800 words a minute and blow them away. And usually I get like the whole, the, can you understand that? And like, yeah. And, you know, like I said, it's very formulaic. It's very standard. You talked about getting to the stage in the interview where it becomes the monkey see, monkey do part of the interview where you have to demonstrate all your equipment and they wonder, you know, how do you program? How do you use a computer, et cetera? Yeah, I was deciding between that or dog and pony show. But yeah, monkey see, monkey do one out. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that is actually what I write about in the article. That is actually something that happens pretty much like clockwork every time. 
And I would guess that's usually pretty convincing once they hear you listening to eloquence at 800 words per minute and they think, wow, I can't understand that. How does he do that? He must be pretty good listening. <laughs> that is, yeah, basically, yeah, sometimes I get gawked at in admiration. Sometimes I've actually had one person applaud for me when I did this. <laughs> <laughs> that was slightly unnerving, but... Yeah, th this happens, and then they sort of like, I show off that I'm in Visual Studio Code, and I write up a little program that just prints Hello World, something simple. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, they can they can see me work. It, it depends on how technical the person sitting across from me is as well. Sometimes it's just like a, a bean counter manager who doesn't know anything about computers, and I'll just show him the, the eloquence thing. But if it's an actual developer, I'll just have him sit next to me and go, okay, so let's just write a little program. Watch you using some of the tools that you'd be using on the job. Yes. And how about once you arrive at some of these places, what kind of reaction do you get from your colleagues and other people? This might be a Dutch thing, but overall I get very, I guess, muted is a good word for it. It's just a, oh, okay, thing. So they see me walking in with a dog and they'll usually want to pet the dog. So I usually take off his harness and keep him leashed because obviously I'm not sure at that point if it's okay for him to run free. Right. I am at a company right now where that is okay, which is actually really good for him. So he can he has like two floors out of uh, office that he can run around in <laughs> oh, and uh, do whatever he wants. And then when I need him, I can call him and he'll come. But like if I'm just sitting at my desk all day, there's no fun in him just lying around there like in a three feet radius. It would really be boring for him. So, so how do you find him if he's two floors away? At that point, usually I just slack a colleague where I guess, can you send Kai up and then... <laughs> <laughs> Now, once you get the job, you must still run into access issues with some of the tools, although you can use the tools in your own environment. You have to plug into the work environment, whatever tools and infrastructure they're using. What kind of issues have you run into in that regard? It varies uh, greatly from company to company, depending on what tool sets you're using. Uh, it also depends on the programming language of choice. But uh, there are certainly some general tools that keep coming back that just aren't very accessible. So do you partition the tasks among you and your colleagues so that they're doing the things that are more difficult for you to do and you can take over some other tasks? It kind of varies on the severity of the task. If it's a simple, you know, I need something dragged up five centimeters and I just cannot do it with a screen reader and it takes five seconds for a colleague to do it, I'll just poke the person sitting next to me and go, hey, look, can you just do this real quick for me and he'll do it. And they're okay doing that. Yeah, they usually are okay doing that. I'm in a very informal work environment right now. They don't really, they're not really big on the whole, uh, this is your thing, this is my thing, and we're going to have to do this ex exact thing. Otherwise, uh, you know, I can't get my stuff done. Mm -hmm. I used to be in a, a company that actually kind of worked that way, and it's a very stressful situation to be in. Yeah, so the work style of the particular group makes a big difference, and the group personality, I assume, makes a big difference too. Yes, I tend to, when I look for jobs, look for an informal culture. Mm-hmm. An informal culture where coders want to help each other flourish and just get work done. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it's too stuffy, if it's too, you know, suit and tie culture, I usually just don't even bother. And I know that sounds really strange to maybe some of you that just have been trying for years and years to get a job and just failing. But if you get into programming and get good at it, you can pick out any job you like because everyone needs them. And those skills are certainly in demand these days. And as we discussed, computers are very accessible to the visually impaired these days with the screen reader technologies and the ability to magnify our screens, use Braille, speech, etc. But 
even with all of that, there are still some challenges to be had. And it's a matter of your attitude and being a little bit proactive and a little bit ingenious about how to overcome those problems. But if you really want to do it, I guess you can. And if you're interested, we've done a large number of episodes about various types of jobs and employment, but we've also done a couple of episodes talking to people, giving advice on how one would go about applying for a job and successfully getting a job. So if you just put the words employment or job into the search tool, you can find all of those episodes. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about learning to write computer programs and how to contact Florian. So if people would like to contact you or read some of your blogs, where would you send them? My web alias, if you will, is Xersiax. That is Z-E-R-S-I-A-X. It is a uh, name I've been going by for the last 10 or so, 15 or so years. I got it from a game and it sort of stuck with me and now it's still there. If you Google that, you get an unhealthy amount of things that have to do with me popping up. I am currently on Medium under that name. This is a blogging platform that uh, sort of combines the ways of Twitter, Facebook, and a blogging platform to make the blogging thing sort of socially compelling for people to, you can follow people and you can do all these other things that make it more user-friendly, between quotes. If you follow my Twitter, that's definitely the social media I use uh, most often. If you want to reach me by email, I would say use my uh, full name. That is F-L-O-R-I-A-N-B-E-I-J-E-R-S at gmail.com to uh, send me an email, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. In your tip, you talked about an online tutorial service to help people learn how to code. Can you repeat that website? Yes, uh, that website is called Free Code Camp, and it is a, uh, yeah, as you say, it is a curriculum, a web, an online curriculum where you can learn how to code. And it's not geared for blind people, but it's definitely usable by them. And that's actually one of the very few resources of this format, of this interactive in-browser format that I know of that actually work accessibly. Are there any other resources that you think you want to share? You're not going to find a lot of resources concerning doing this as a blind person. They just don't exist yet. So all these things, and I say this in my article as well, there's very few uh, resources out there specifically for the blind. And if you run into access issues, you're pretty much on your own in solving them unless you find someone who's running into the same thing. I even run into this from time to time where I have to go on Twitter and call out, see if anyone else run into this and fixed it. And if that hasn't been done, then I need to fix it myself. And as usual, if you're looking for any of those resources, you can find them in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And as Nancy mentioned, we've done lots of shows on computers, programming, employment, careers. And if you put any of those terms into the search field on our website, you'll find lots of shows of interest. That's it for show number 1905. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about home delivery shopping services. 
Shopping from home has become more common over the past few years and can afford one with much greater flexibility and independence. We'll talk with Ricky Anger of the Hadley Institute about some of the available shopping and delivering services and how they work. And you will also learn about the new series of Hadley webinars that you can join from home. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.